right, thanks, Will, for uh, joining. Um, you and I had chatted over the past couple of days about uh, some topics that may be you know, podcast-worthy. So um, the general topic here, we wanted to start with income inequality. That's an uh, issue that's near and dear to a lot of the folks' heart. And then, um, you know, kind of go from there and see what happens. So um, you, you put some introduction there. I'll let you go and introduce yourself there. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm Will Beeson. Uh, I grew up in Texas. Uh, my parents are – my dad's a particle physicist. My mother's uh, – she's done a lot of different things. She was a rocket scientist. She's done medical research. And then uh, most recently, she's done embedded encryption for the military. Um, for school, I did a couple years at West Point, but I left before the service commitment. I got degrees in math and physics from UT Austin. Uh, it was actually in college that I taught myself to code. Uh, and I immediately landed a job out of college at IBM Watson. Uh, now I... Uh, I work in San Francisco as a software developer, and I've done things from uh, machine learning, computational linguistics, and uh, uh, now I work on cloud infrastructure, uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, and, and but, maybe another yeah, topic for another session, because um, there's a whole lot more I still need to learn about Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, thanks for joining. Um, and I know we kind of prepared some talking points before the session, and a lot of them seem to center around candidate searches or, you know, companies seeking, you know, uh, job, um, you know, uh, candidates there. Mm -hmm. So I'll let yeah, you kind of open it up there, what, what you've seen, you know, from the tech side. I'm not sure you've ever hired people, um, but seeing from the tech side, you know, what you've seen, and we'll pull it back into some income inequality here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, so uh, since my background is in computational linguistics and machine learning, I've actually worked for two different uh, recruiting automation startups. That's what they're called. Uh, effectively, their goal is it's not evaluating applicants who have applied to jobs, but rather trying to figure out people who may be interested in jobs that, like in new positions that exist. So it's not I have 2,000 resumes from people that want to apply for these jobs. Instead, it's, uh, it's something like, here's literally 10 million resumes, find the people that would be a quote-unquote good fit for these jobs. So uh, uh, while working in these positions, I got to see firsthand a lot of, uh, not only a lot of resumes, but a lot of how, how companies that do recruiting think about uh, how to find people and then the systemic problems that arise from that. Yeah, so that, that is a good point there. I mean, I've done a little bit of hiring in, in my past, uh, you know, jobs there, and um, it was off of Craigslist, <laughs> just mm -hmm. simply posting a job out there, and, you know, I found a, um, a couple of folks to work for me, uh, you know, back when I was doing, you know, hiring. But going mm -hmm. from something like that all the way up to literally a million resumes, this is for one job posting? God, wow. So, oh, yeah, I'm um, uh – yeah, so they'll uh, usually what people will do is uh, you can actually buy databases of resumes. Uh, for the most part, when you send in a resume to uh, like to a company, uh, there's like a weird license agreement you usually have to agree to when you're making an application that effectively gives them the right to sell your resume. So there's uh, 
There's actually resume aggregator companies where all they do is they collect literally millions of resumes. They try to uh, they try to figure out uh, which sets of resumes belong to the same person. So you may have like, oh, this profile has like five resumes attached to it, and then uh, that those are resumes the person has sent to different companies that have an agreement with that resume aggregator. So then. Uh, when a company is looking for new people, they'll purchase access to that database and then uh, construct ways of doing searches on it. Yeah, so the first part, of, as you mentioned, the you know, candidate searches, let's say that, kind of to, to dumb this down a little bit, that the job mm -hmm. just simply requires customer service skills. Well, mm -hmm. that's so broad and, and wide open. But what yeah. might, um, you know, let's say, again, this is a company looking for customer service people. What mm -hmm. would they typically, you think, look for? In, and sometimes it's not even a resume. It could just be a mm -hmm. simple application and a Q&A that is asked on you know, something there. But what might something, you know, stand out to these filters um, to kind of clue in. Now, it also could be, you know, you mentioned this is um, an organization, you know, quote, buying a lot of big data mm -hmm. for a lot of different mm -hmm. people. Um, yeah. And so if, if they have access to that, I guess they may be charged by how many searches they do on it. And, of course, it's also, okay, well, well this, you know, website um, had a copy of this resume, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then the other interesting thing here, it's almost, it feels like a credit report to me a little bit. Let's say that mm -hmm. you then um, a week later submit a drastically different resume, yep. you know, to another company. Is there, mm -hmm. I'm sure, again, the time that I spent with credit reports, there's some sort of, you know, mismatch in there. And if you oh, happen yeah. to leave out like a degree or something like that. Yeah, one of my coworkers actually was in the funny position of the resume aggregator that our company bought resumes from uh, like uh, had a mismatch between the coworker and uh, it was a uh, some priest who lives in like Minnesota so it was uh, like the first thing that my company did after after we bought the, the set of resumes was look through and see what does it think about like all of us so of course it had information on all of us but for the one person it was like oh like they have this tech experience but also they're currently working as a priest in Minnesota. And it's like, what? And uh, it's that the systems they use to do these matches are very, uh, they're very brittle. So if they don't have a lot of information to go on, they'll just kind of have it guess. But they don't have a great way of like fixing mismatches. So if you get, if you get mislabeled in these systems, it can end up looking like you have a, either a bunch of irrelevant experience or just like you have a very confusing set of resume experiences. But the uh, resume aggregators are not at all front about that that's the case. And when you do find these problems, they're very, uh, they have a big resistance to actually fixing these problems. So if you've uh, either applied for a job or, or if uh, recruiters are or aren't reaching out to you, it may simply not be your fault. It's just, oh, the random company that's been buying your data uh, didn't process it right. Yeah, and I'm actually doing a search, and I'll be curious to see that. Going back to my banking experience and dealing with credit mm -hmm. reports, there's something yeah. called the FCRA, um, you know, the Fair Credit Reporting Act. 
And mm-hmm. my guess here is that this whole kind of business, as I'll call it, of um, cataloging and turning resumes into big data, that that mm-hmm. probably is not covered under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Yeah, that, that would not surprise me at all. Um, uh, yeah. But, of course, uh, I think it's – I don't remember the specifics of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Is that that it's uh, – or could you remind me what that is? Say that part again, sorry? Uh, could you remind me what the Fair Credit Reporting Act is? Yeah, so this is um, – I have to go back to the year that – let's see. It actually is from 1970 is how long this thing has been around. And, um, you know, when you get a credit card, when you get a car loan, when you get a house loan, somewhere in that agreement is the agreement that, okay, to get this loan, um, you need to agree for this bank usually to submit your credit information to um, you know, credit agencies like the Equifax, the TransUnions, and Experience of the world. Mm-hmm. So that can be detrimental, especially and now you see all these ads on TV. It's like, check your credit score instantly. It doesn't cost you. you know, and usually your bank will tell you, okay, here's your free credit score and all that. So you can kind of watch it yourself, and it's a little more user-friendly. But if we dial this back to 1970, we didn't have the Internet. <laughs> we, yeah. we didn't have you know places that you can literally within 10 seconds see your own credit. So that's where mm-hmm. a lot of the – just to give the history of how this thing was written. So let's say that – you know, you got into a, um, a loan, you did not, you know, pay, you know, on time a couple of times, that stuff gets submitted, you know, to the credit agencies. And yep. then let's say that you go to apply for a house loan, mm-hmm. they pull your credit report and it says, oh, well, you've got these late payments on there. It actually sets up a whole process that you can, um, you know, request that those be looked into to make sure that mm-hmm. they are accurate and so forth, yeah. and there's uh, timelines. I think it's like 30 or 60 days that either party, you know, it, it's all spelled out in this, you know, credit reporting mm-hmm. act. But it's very interesting to see that this has been around. I didn't realize it had been uh, around till 1970. And there are uh, chances that background mm-hmm. checks can be done um, yeah. when it comes to credit checks, employment mm-hmm. history verification. So I'll I'll click on that here in a second. But some other areas, drug tests, criminal records, academic Mm -hmm. history verification, and even a driving record. So, yeah, 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 with the. Oh, yeah, with the. Yeah, you're talking about specifically in terms of uh, employment, like uh, checking the credit history for uh, applicants? Yep. But yeah, so that, that's a uh, like, like that is a a big thing. That's a big problem. It's uh, when uh, like uh, I'm pretty sure companies aren't supposed to do it. Uh, I'll have to specifically check into that. But it's that like uh, it's not supposed to be that you can just exclude people based on uh, credit reports. But a lot of companies do it anyway because it's not like it's not like anyone can go and actually check to see whether they've done this. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is it's the uh, it's an example of people using an emotional bias to try to make what they think is an informed decision because they it would be convenient to be able to say oh if someone can't handle their finances responsibly how can I trust them to do a good job on the surface that seems like good reasoning but 
what's interesting is they've actually done studies that show that there's not actually a correlation between someone's credit score and how good they perform at the job. It ends up being this weird cycle of discrimination where I'm getting a call. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's a cycle of discrimination where uh, people that have bad credit can't get jobs, which means it's harder for them to get a job. They make less money, and thus their credit score gets worse. Their credit score gets worse. Uh, this is a positive feedback loop since it means that there's this existing behavior that just keeps getting worse. Uh, as uh, and there isn't like a really easy way out of it. Once you have a bad credit score, there just isn't a lot that you can do. And if it's bad enough, you effectively aren't hireable because so many companies, especially on the the lower the lower wage part end of the spectrum, will do this. But it also ignores the fact that, like especially in the U.S., there's a lot of people where their bad credit isn't even their fault. Uh, you can consider things like stolen identities, but in the U.S. specifically, uh, uh, consider healthcare, where it, what is it like uh, over half of people who get cancer end up going bankrupt? That completely yep. trashes their credit score, and means that like okay, now they have they have these hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills that they can't pay, and now they also cannot get a job. So it's just like what, like like what are you doing, like? Like, are you not aware that these exceptions to your model exist? Yeah, for sure. Um, so to, to bring that, and you've already touched on it a couple of times there, let's say that um, this uh, job applicant had just mm -hmm. even graduated college or even some sort of trade school. You mm -hmm. know, they're out there, they're starting to job search. Um, yep. There are two sides of this. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that person should ultimately be scared of what we're talking about here because they're just oh, yeah. looking for a job. But it is kind of something that I would keep in the back of my mind. Um, yeah. You know, not only what have I done, you know, the whole time that I was older than 18 when it comes to credit, but all these mm -hmm. other things, is that, um, you know, something that can just immediately disqualify me um, from any, yeah. you know, consideration. Um, versus, you know, someone who maybe even got lower grades than me in school, but if mm -hmm. all this other stuff checks out green, they may have a leg up over even someone like me, you know, trying to apply for that job. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very arbitrary and ridiculous, and the companies that have these practices are not at all open about the fact that they're doing it. Though it's... Uh, I can't, there's a, there's a term for it where you're, like, effectively your, your application has been excluded. You're not told that you're, that you would even, like, really, like, you're not, you're not told why. You're just sort of like, oh, you're not a good fit for this position. And it's like, okay, well, like, you have no visibility into the system they were actually using to, uh, to evaluate you. And in some time, in, in some cases, since they were doing something that was illegal to exclude you, uh, like they obviously have an incentive to not tell you why they excluded you. Yeah. So what what I'm reading here is that there's a chance. I don't know that, that sentence says it says that a background check that an employer conducts on you 
Um, mm -hmm. That's what the Fair Credit Reporting Act calls a consumer report. They must mm -hmm. notify you in writing and get your written authorization. But of course, you know, the, that just takes it right back to what you were saying. If the recruiter is saying, I need you to sign this form, or even maybe the job offer may have been extended pending, you know, this background check. Yeah. It, it still, kind of, it's a catch-22 for someone mm -hmm. who has had issues with any of the above we've discussed. And ultimately, yeah. does this really have anything to do with the job? I mean, if you're getting a job at a, as a teller at a bank mm -hmm. or yeah. like you're going to drive a armored car, maybe mm -hmm. <laughs> these types yeah. of things are a little more relevant to those. Yeah. But then, you know, if, if you're just going to be programming and uh, or doing, you know, general tech support and things like this, I don't know mm -hmm. that this is all that relevant. Yeah, it's, it's completely irrelevant. It's still, like, it's incredibly satisfying to me that people have literally done studies on this and found that there is no correlation. But it's frustrating that it's, uh, it's where, like, it, People are using reasoning that feels good or sounds right, so they get this, uh, like, because it seems intuitive, people go with it rather than thinking about how to make sure that their model of the world actually reflects reality. Yeah. But, so um, any other things that, working through all that industry and, and that type of mm -hmm. thing, is there anything else yep. that made your eyes open wider when, when you happen to have been asked to you know, work on a project or solve something, you know, mm -hmm. the data that was being uh, squeezed out of it. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the one of the aspects that both of the recruiting startups that I worked for uh, asked me to do was uh, something I call prestige filtering, and that's where uh, they systematically eliminate candidates who don't uh, who either did not go to specific schools or who have not worked for specific companies. Uh, so this means that you have like a bunch of high paying jobs where uh, they're effectively telling recruiters like only hire people that like were able to go to the best schools and pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars in tuition for it or have worked for the companies that are also using the same reasoning. So it's uh, like, uh, so it's like, oh, if you haven't gone to like, uh, usually they'll do top 20 schools specifically in the U.S. So, like, of course, you're, you're completely excluding any kind of international candidate. So it's like University of Oxford, University of Zurich, these are well known for their computer science programs. But uh, since these are very U.S.-centric companies, it's just sort of like uh, an exact text search will not match it because it's like, oh, they didn't put Berkeley or, or Stanford or whatever. Therefore, the, uh, the text search that they did just doesn't catch them. It's uh, like, like a, and this is another thing where it's people think that it gets them better applicants, but again, there's research that shows that it really doesn't. It's uh, like there is a known benefit to having an education, but where you got it from is a very poor predictor of how well you're you're actually going to do in the job. There's so much variance between individual people that it's almost meaningless. But people do it anyway because they want to be able to say, like, 50% of people that worked here went to top 20 schools or, like, have worked for, like, Google or Amazon or Yahoo or whatever. But 
they don't actually mean that uh, they're better performers. Yeah. So that's that's certainly uh, very interesting. And then also again going back to just uh, you know minimum level of education for a job. I would like to say that you know my company that I work for, we have done some interesting things to um, you know partner with some staffing companies, and mm-hmm. you know as a candidate or a job holder moves through mm-hmm. a staffing agency, you know that they may have a, a requisition that comes in. We only want you to work with us for about a month, and you move mm-hmm. on to another assignment. But that also leads to okay, is there any stability here? But as they work through. Um, you know, and, and see these different candidates. Um, one mm-hmm. in particular, which was interesting, I you know helped out with some things at the office. Um, it dealt with, um, in a lot of cases, single moms or mm-hmm. um, uh, ladies who didn't maybe just had like a about a college or excuse me, just a high school diploma. Maybe had gone mm-hmm. a little bit afterwards, but they did not. Um, they, they would typically not fit into a mold of working mm-hmm. a general customer service job. Or even um, some of these ladies have moved on to be executive assistants for VPs at the company mm. because they just had the wherewithal, honestly, sometimes even to show up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I've even had that trouble in the past where, okay, you, you've been hired for this job and you, nobody can count on you. That sometimes that's just half of it. You've got some personality filtering coming up here. But it's been very interesting to see that these candidates, they don't always work out. But I think, honestly, if you were to look at the statistics, mm-hmm. if a very, well, someone, uh, you know, there's a difference between your book sense and your common sense, and then there's also mm-hmm. the initiative and effort. I think those yep. are all three separate buckets, you know, for any candidate. Yep. Yeah, and uh, about all a resume is good for is, is book sense, but it's, uh, like, there's only a very weak correlation there. Like the the other ones, people like uh, like in the uh, in interviews, the the hiring manager, whoever's doing the interview, will try to get a sense of like like oh like how like uh like how much common sense does this person have? But it's uh it's such a vague criteria that it ends up just being uh it ends up just being in a uh, let's see I uh. Uh, ends up being an unconscious bias test where it's like uh, it's not does the person have common sense, but rather it is the person like me, i.e. usually with, uh, white and male. Yeah, and I remember what, one of these particular tasks, so as I understood it, the staffing agency, mm-hmm. they would meet with the ladies, I think it was once or twice a week, and let's say that mm-hmm. the lady already had a job um, mm-hmm. Maybe this was scheduled, you know, near that job. Um, some of these uh, ladies, they didn't have their own transportation. You know, they were mm-hmm. relying on you know, public transit to get back and forth. But there was an exercise that I, third, that I heard about third or fourth party that some of mm-hmm. these candidates, um, they would have a tendency to, I'll say, kind of talk back in the workplace. And so that they would put these uh, folks together and do uh, some forms mm-hmm. of team building. They were almost kind of together mm-hmm. in cohorts, and maybe do some um, uh, reactions and say, "Okay, this is a situation. How would you normally react?" And then you know, uh, management at a you know uh, company might look at that and say, "Whoa, you, you know, uh, 
you need to step away from the keyboard or you need to get off the phone call if you've got these uh, tendencies to outburst. And there's, so it, it was very interesting to see that, okay, you've got a candidate. They're going to show mm -hmm. up. They're going yeah. to, um, you know, know how to type, you know, English without, you know, uh, misspelling yeah. and all this. But maybe there was a shortcoming over here that they just they, they are mouthy. <laughs> and how do you rein that in? You also have an interesting one in here uh, on a, a talking point of a culture fit. Yeah. And and I've um, I've certainly I want to say myself when I was making hiring decisions, and even in the workplace and even outside the workplace. I like to mm -hmm. think that I can listen to someone and usually mm -hmm. relate. I mean, I do training. You know, I, that's kind yeah. of part of what we do. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting in, in your past experience, especially yeah. that culture fits, because you listed mm -hmm. that out here, maybe going yeah. into unconscious biases and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, like a, there's right ways and there's wrong ways to do it. It's that most people don't do, like, the right way of doing it. It's uh like a, it's, I guess it starts with the, like how you're approaching it, where it's, are you looking to include people based on culture fit or exclude people based on culture fit? It's, uh, you're, you're not, you're not using like, like, oh, that person is like, isn't like me, therefore they won't fit in the company. It should be thinking about how does, like, how does the person's personality interact with the team? And that's a much harder question. And it's a much, uh, I mean, and it has a much more complex answer because everyone, every individual bring a different thing to the team. Uh, if there is, uh, like, if you consider someone who's relatively mouthy, that, net, that might be something that the team needs, even if the team doesn't, like, especially if the team doesn't have that, because you may need someone to be able to speak up for the team. There's a there's a lot of things to consider when like like for something like that, uh, but too often it's uh, culture fit is uh, like it's a homogenization effort of trying to make every employee at the company exactly the same, which is like just awful. Yeah, and but. It, there's also the risk, too, uh, whether mm -hmm. there's some unconscious bias going on, um, whether yep. there is a reluctance to say, well, we've got this team. Is this new mm -hmm. candidate going to disrupt things? I don't know that people should necessarily look at disruption as necessarily a bad thing. If you look mm -hmm. at um, public use cases, um, it goes all the way back to what I remember hearing about the Target scandal. Remember, you know, the, the department store Target Years mm -hmm. ago, they had that breach, with, and they were really the first or one of the first ones that there was a huge, um, you know, public outcry that, oh, well, mm -hmm. I don't know if my credit card's been stolen or what have you. But I remember going in and listening to Target and their corporate mm -hmm. history. I think they're headquartered up in somewhere around Minneapolis, somewhere up north. And it was kind of a um, – I think they said, like, the IT manager had worked for the company like 15 or 20 years and, and some of these folks had started out in maybe some lower-end jobs and just worked their way through the corporate ladder. And mm -hmm. it seemed to be that it was very difficult for outsiders to break into that type of mold. Mm -hmm. And what that eventually led to, if you want to place any blame, is that, that there were not very many people that were looking at the, the issue in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I That's will really say for point. myself, yeah, and I will say for myself that I um, sometimes maybe need to step away from the keyboard a little bit. But there's also this thing about me that I, if I see something wrong, um, mm-hmm. I need to make sure that people know about it. And if it, yeah. if it if if it leads to a job termination, okay, I guess that's going to be what happened. But th- there's just a lot to learn here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, people. People like the very easy, simple answers without thinking about without thinking about their consequences. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really hard to talk through and get people to understand that, like, like you. You have to consider the implications of the systems that you are implementing. Like, uh, if you, as you're as you're pointing out, if you ask that everyone have exactly the same viewpoint, then you're starved for alternative viewpoints, and you could potentially miss these just awful, these awful problems and nip them in the bud before they become like international news. Yeah. And, and I even go back to when I was um, in school, I did some work with a um, hospital that's down in South Georgia. And at the time, the, the full-time employees on their job badge, they would have different colored stickers on their job mm-hmm. badge, and they would maybe red, blue, green, or yellow. So a, a red person is a strong leader, fast-paced thinkers, risk-takers, mm-hmm. purposeful. A blue person is a deep thinker, analytical in nature, very detail-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can sometimes come across as being aloof, <laughs> is what the description is. But yeah. they um, they are sticklers for time and capable of coming to their own conclusions. Green mm-hmm. folks are cool, laid back, relaxed, and patient. They are easy to get along with, very informal in their approach. Yellows are the life and soul of the party. They're sociable, expressive, very imaginative, enthusiastic. Um, and yellows are going to be very informal, very optimistic, and animated. And so mm-hmm. it, I, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, just the little time that I spent there, I didn't go through that test, and I think it would yeah. be interesting to see the result. But yeah. when you approach someone, you know mm-hmm. immediately how they are looking at the situation. And yep. inevitably, almost everybody in the IT organization there was red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's actually, you know, uh, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's actually exactly how personality tests should be being used. It's not... I want to craft the the perfect team with the perfect set of personalities because one personality is better than all the others. Rather, it's I have this team and I want to get them to understand each other better and how to work each other, with each other better. Uh, what you're talking about, I think it's the uh, is that the primary colors model. I was trying to look for. They're just saying personality yeah, types. Yeah, there's um, like a. see but the um, oh, uh, true colors true colors okay. yeah the true yeah. colors personality test is really good for that but um uh, uh, there's a variant that also assigns you a secondary color because obviously not everyone is exactly all of those uh, those traits that you mentioned but uh, like you can exhibit like like people's personalities can be multifaceted you don't always fit into one box all the time so it's the like acknowledging that people have secondary and tertiary characteristics in their personalities uh, helps deepen your understanding even further. What's really cool is that they've shown that when you when you approach it from 
when you approach personality from the perspective of how can I help these people work better together, like it, it actually does improve their performance. It's not like, so it's, you want, you want a team with varied personalities, but then you also want them to be aware of the variance in personalities so that they can work well. Because then now you have a bunch of different perspectives, you have a bunch of different approaches for, for looking at and solving problems, and that gives you a lot more power than like, oh, everyone's a red, oops. Yep. Um, but bringing that back around to income inequality, I think I've kind of started on this a little bit. Let's say that someone is um, just entering the job market, they're just coming out of school. Mm -hmm. um, I think mm -hmm. a lot of this is relevant even to, um, I'll just kind of uh, uh, joke a little bit, the boomers out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. that it's, it's all the above because you're still coming into the same filter uh, for a job you know, that you're looking at this organization. I, I think you should own, you know, your strengths and weaknesses and, and go in and say, you know, the, for example, the, the recruiter may ask a question and you say, well, you're not going to like this answer, but this is how this is really going to play out, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the, the right hiring manager and really the ultimately the good fit, um, mm -hmm. they can see through that and see, you know, no, that this makes sense. This person really is, is not bluffing me that they really know mm -hmm. what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem arises when people try to automate this process. So what they'll do is uh, it's usually before, like, before the later interview stages where you're actually talking to, like, a hiring manager. It's either with the recruiter or it'll be, a, uh, like, a survey you're asked to fill out before you, before you enter, before you get to the point where you're talking to the hiring manager, usually in the form of some sort of personality test. And uh, this is where... Uh, this is where a lot of people, especially with uh, mental health uh, disabilities, uh, like where they get discriminated against because you'll get a question like, it'll be like a like rate on a scale of uh, like least least agree, or like, no, it's uh, like strongly disagree to strongly agree, something like I often experience mood swings for no reason. Uh, a... Uh, a hire would like to be able to say, oh, I can't, I can't have someone that experiences mood swings in a customer service position. But really, obviously, that question is biasing against people with uh, something like bipolar disorder. But uh, what that means is for anyone with some sort of uh, personality disorder or any, like, even relatively minor health, uh, mental health disability, uh, they can't get, they can't, they just, uh, immediately get selected out of jobs because of it. And that, of course, goes back to the feedback loop we mentioned before where, like, people with mental disabilities can't get, uh, they can't get, they can't get jobs so they, uh, they don't have as much money, which usually makes their problems worse and then it's even harder for them to get jobs. Yeah. And another example, even even my company has opened up a completely separate path through the recruiting process that uh, I forget exactly what they call it. It's a very politically correct term. But let's say that someone has uh, or somewhere on the Asperger's spectrum, mm -hmm. and they uh, you know present themselves usually in a very different way. Um, I think you know I like to see that everything as I'm have stimuli or, or through the, the day. 
I can see gray areas and I can, you know, work with, you know, situations. Everything that I know about folks that have Asperger's, everything's black or white to them. They can't sense any sort of body language at times. And it's mm-hmm. very, very difficult for them to see. So I imagine, you know, living in a all black and white world where, and this is not black and white people. Yeah. This is just, you know, yeah. you're responding to a situation with either a one or a zero. I mean, we work with binary mm-hmm. and we understand that. But that, that's not how the world usually works. There's body language. There are, um, you know, things that are said that are, um, you know, uh, not or they're kind of dumbed down or, or not really what the person means. And it's very mm-hmm. difficult for someone in that. So my company does have a separate recruiting path that if you've encountered a person, you think they're a really good worker, they would be a good fit for this position. But on that mm-hmm. first phone call, you know, it may go off the rails because the person didn't even know that this you know person has you know, a condition like this. And it's mm-hmm. also, it goes back to, Companies can't really ask <laughs> this kind yep. of thing because that could be turned into a lawsuit. So people are kind of standoffish mm-hmm. about this kind of stuff. But ultimately, yep. the, there could be some really good candidates out there that were just immediately disqualified because mm-hmm. they had you know, something like Asperger's. Yep. Yeah, it's where like you're not you're not being hired because of your because you had better qualifications. You're getting hired because you're able to pass like a you're, you're able to satisfy the social requirements that the interview asks of you. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, someone approaching, you know, our chat here, just ultimately being mm-hmm. called income inequality, mm-hmm. you know, we, we went off into some tangents, but I think that someone who, um, you know, I guess the, the thought here is, okay, I, I need to make more money in my job. There are, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've got a family at home I'm trying to feed and we're working you know, constantly paycheck to paycheck. I think mm-hmm. all of these different, stories that we've shared are hopefully helpful yep. to folks that are in that mm-hmm. type of situation. Um, let's say yeah, that you, uh, get, you just kind of keep in a revolving door and never, you know, uh, succeed with anything. Um, I think, you know, just knowing that the recruiting world and the job hunters world actually operates mm-hmm. like this is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, it's, it's really frustrating that these, uh, the effects that we've been talking about, they stratify, like, like they stratify our economy because it's like uh, the people who have good credit, no, uh, no mental health issues, and who went to amazing schools, they get selected for, and then get the good jobs, and then everyone else uh, doesn't select against, which makes their situations worse, which makes it uh, harder for them to get those jobs in the future. It's, uh, it's especially uh, big in the tech industry where. We so often just say like, oh, we only want the quarter, like the way they'll usually frame it is like, oh, we only want the cream of the crop. We don't want to consider anyone else. And then, of course, like you have people that are like honestly in like my like my sphere where it's like, okay, we've, we've met all of these arbitrary criteria. So we're getting the we're getting the good jobs and the good paychecks. But uh, someone who simply didn't satisfy one of those is being selected against. It's, uh, it's all and very... Story. And another story I'll share as well is our, this has been about uh, maybe two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I do training for the company, but we also have this pool of contractors that uh, they can come in for 
an instructor workshop and you know mm -hmm. with someone who knows the content of the course where you know that the person is going to be teaching but there's also mm -hmm. a um, I would say that really the content maybe is around 60% you know really knowing the product it's honestly more about 40% or so of just personalities and being able to listen to people being able, able to on the fly change mm -hmm. you know your delivery method and I remember that there was a gentleman that came in um, he you know obviously was going to be a contractor but we kind of I'll say kind of blessed them with holy water at the end of the week of you know whether they're going to be a fit for this but he was um, having trouble with his delivery so there were some broken mm -hmm. sentences there were times where he would pause and we, we we didn't really know what was going on and we were having concerns you know the early part of the week is this person really going to you know, be successful. And, um, and we, we were meeting every evening, you know, just going through the candidates and then seeing what the process looks like. And my coworker, he said, um, you know what, he, he appears to be a Latino, so I don't know that English is necessarily his first language. And so the next day we asked the, the gentleman to stand up and do the next module. And my coworker said, do you mind delivering this session in your most comfortable language it was the difference between night and day i mean i only mm -hmm. took two years of spanish in high school but mm -hmm. he was so much more comfortable he mm -hmm. was able to you know uh, just go from you know point to point to point it, it was just amazing and so at the end of that session because i had to pick my jaw up off the floor <laughs> um <laughs> You know, just asking, you know, why, you know, he said he had moved to this country um, with uh, Spanish being his first language. He taught himself English. Mm -hmm. He has a wife at home that she only speaks Spanish. They have kids at home. But he literally was having to translate every sentence in his mind in order mm -hmm. to, you know, portray it. And uh, my jaw still had to just pick it up off the floor. I was like, this <laughs> is the kind of person that we need. I mean, okay, yeah. if, if he doesn't know just one or two checkboxes on all the content, mm -hmm. that, that's something that can be fixed. Um, yeah. we, we have a huge need for Spanish-speaking instructors. And yeah. being able to pair him with another instructor that may be bilingual or putting him in the mm -hmm. situations, I, I don't think it would take him much you know, time at all to get back up or just those couple of shortcomings. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, and and even to go further with anyone that is of Hispanic descent, um, there's an organization called StoryCorps, and they actually will sit down with you, not too different than what we're doing here, and just have someone tell about their life stories. And there have been a mm -hmm. couple of stories, and I've, there's even a, a really good manager in our um, our company. He changed his name from Roberto to Robert because he yep. wanted to appear less Latino just simply mm -hmm. as a, a resume coming across and that unconscious bias. He's one of the best, you know, executives yeah. we have at the company. Um, but him to have to tell that story to say, well, I, I changed my name from Hernandez to Smith. Mm -hmm. That's just completely crazy. <laughs> you yeah. know, someone feels oh, like yeah. they have to do that in yeah. order to fit some sort of job mold. Yeah, but what's what's really frustrating about that is that it, it works and it's essentially a requirement uh, that – I can't remember when the study was, but they they created a bunch of resumes for for jobs, and they had a, like a, for the resumes 
Uh, half of them had very white sounding names and half of them had very African-American sounding names. And the African-American resumes got like, otherwise had no difference from the resumes with, uh, with white sounding names. And they, uh, they got something like half the uh, response rate than the, than the white candidate resumes. It's just like, like literally the only difference was the name. In some cases they were literally going to the same companies, but like there's this, like it was, oh, that's a black sounding name. And like thus it got fewer, uh, fewer callbacks. Yeah, that's just unfortunate. It shouldn't have a damn thing to do with it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, we're getting up almost to, um, what, 50 minutes or so. Anything else mm -hmm. out of um, the discussion we've gone through that you wanted to go into? Uh, no, that's uh, th that's about all I've got. Um, uh, I, I guess I've got a, I've got a couple of book recommendations if, like, people want to people wanna learn more about these topics. Sure. Yeah, um, uh, so there's uh, Weapons of Mass Destruction, that's Mass, Not Mass, uh, by Kathy O'Neill. Uh, the subtitle is How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy. It's, uh, she's a statistician, and she wrote on her experiences in handling big data and how it systemically uh, uh, biases automated systems against people. Uh, and then the other one would be Economics for the Common Good, that's by Jean Tirole. He's the, I think it's 2014 Nobel Laureate in Economics, but uh, he does a fantastic job at explaining, like explaining a lot of a lot of these complex economic concepts in terms that everyday people can understand. Uh, like his, the premise of the book is sort of like modern economic policy is too unintuitive for for it to be popular, so we have to educate people so that they understand uh, they understand why these weird policies should work. Well, cool. Um, well, thanks again for joining. And um, if this turns into a series, well, um, maybe we'll call this series something. I'm not sure yet, but uh, <laughs> I think it's very interesting. And I think a lot of people they just go about their days and never even think about some of this stuff. So.